0: Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have a short and whimsical, inappropriate conversation built around something I call a simple yes or no. You know, I've said before in Inappropriate Conversations that I think a particular episode will be short, and my track record isn't all that good at delivering short, but this time might be different. I'm recording this in advance of Easter Sunday for release on that weekend anyway, to kind of maybe be the last Inappropriate Conversation with a topic I have planned for a while. Doesn't mean the show's done, doesn't even mean there was a planned hiatus, I'm just preparing for whatever the future may hold. There are lots of activities happening in the month of April that I need to create some space for. But this is kind of a special occasion, and I didn't want to leave it without commentary. In my entire lifetime, which started after 1956, what's about to happen this weekend has never happened before. So we're talking about something that is historic, and although arguably unimportant, still interesting. See, I've operated for many years with the notion that time isn't all that real... Or if it exists, we give it way too much credit so that any special celebration built around a particular day, especially if that day has been kind of randomly chosen, yeah, maybe it's not that important either way. I don't lose any sleep over things like Labor Day or Arbor Day. The reason I celebrate occasions like Memorial Day is because it's important for me personally in my personal life and personal relationships. But for the first time since 1956... And for the first time that it'll happen until it happens again in 2029, Easter Sunday in the United States will fall on the same day as April Fool's Day. This year, as I'm sure most most people know by now, April 1st is a Sunday, April 1st is Easter Sunday, and those two ideas are coming together. I felt like that simply needed to be acknowledged. Maybe the way I'm acknowledging it is irreverent, And I'm going to grant that right up front. But the way I like to talk about things, even when my irreverence is really, really glaring, is to just use it as the beginning of a conversation. That my faith personally is very strong. I don't have any um, doubts that plague me. And I don't lose sleep at night over questions about resurrection or even uh, the validity of the life of Christ or the crucifixion of Christ. It just seemed to me that if we're going to talk about April Fool's Day and Easter Sunday in this overlapping time frame, we might as well have a little bit of fun with it. Here's the way I describe it. There's a moment in John's Gospel that describes Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, being one of the first to show up at the tomb on the you know Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, after Jesus' crucifixion, and finding the tomb empty and being distraught and upset by it. And then encountering somebody who she doesn't see clearly through her tears as uh, interpreting him as maybe a gardener and asking him if he has any idea where they've taken the body of her Lord, that she had come to do some uh, primitive embalming activities like with spices and stuff to kind of anoint the body. And she can't find him anywhere and she doesn't recognize him as Jesus, as the resurrected Jesus, until he speaks her name. And then there's a conversation about, you know, what he's going to do now that he's risen from the dead and that he can't stay with her for very long. She shouldn't try to, quote unquote, hold on to him in that regard. But I thought in terms of if I had the ability to be a cartoonist, to draw multi-panel cartoons. Well, first off, I might be able to use that power for good in the realm of political cartooning that I think is an unappreciated art form. But I also could probably use it for a, a great deal of mischief. And in this case, I think my point of view is actually kind of mischievous, because my thought was, you could draw this panel of Mary crying outside the tomb, and do it in a way that is obvious that this is Mary Magdalene, and that this is Jesus' tomb, with the stone rolled away, and it, it being empty, and her crying and saying, hey, where have you taken the body? And, uh, Jesus standing right next to her saying, April Fools! Which to me is kind of the context for what I think of when you put Easter and April Fool's Day together. That obviously is is not how I take seriously the story uh, that's told in the Gospel according to John chapter 20. But it does come to mind as sort of, you know, what if you took it this with the perspective of making a uh, stand-up comedy joke out of it of sorts. But in some ways, that might have been Mary's first impression. Uh, First, she gets to the tomb, the body's gone, has somebody pulled some kind of prank, or engaged in some kind of really hideous mischief? Has there been some post-burial violence against the corpse or whatever? She might have had all those ideas rolling through her her head. But then to see Jesus in front of her might have had her own little April Fool's moment. Although all the Gospel passages relate the appearance of Jesus post-crucifixion, these resurrection appearances, as being in a glorified form, um, some folks have trouble believing it because they have seen him dead, and therefore they know that this is a, a rising-from-the-grave situation. Some don't recognize him because his body is, in many ways, not exactly the same as the one moments before death on the cross. That This is a, a glorified, perfected version, so to speak. So there's lots of accounts like that. So... The fact that from Mary's perspective, she might have felt like this was some sort of trick, and yeah, that's nevertheless a, a valid point of view. And even though I don't feel that the whole thing was just a joke, it is, after all, April Fool's Day. Mary of Magdala was a different drummer on a previous edition of Inappropriate Conversations, goes back a few years now, episode 134, called Gender Segregation, from December of 2013. Of course, the very first time I referred to April Fool's Day in the context of an inappropriate conversations recording was near the beginning of the second year of the show. Just a few episodes in, number 52, uh, probably released early April because I really had a hard time being on time back then, but right around late March, early April, I just called it first-person comedy, and it was released and recorded with the point of view of the episode itself feeling a little bit like an April Fool's Day prank. Here, I'm only offering one joke from the direct perspective of April Fool's Day, but I didn't want to leave it unsaid. Having said that, I think there is something kind of important that I wanted to note. Uh, I wanted to deal with at least some short fiction here, and not let the show just be about kind of a one-off joke. And it is short fiction that has this similar level of irreverence to it, I'll talk about it a little bit after the Different Drummer segment when I want to share the uh, short story. But the lead up to it was around the time that I moved to Ohio many, many years ago. I don't think I'd ever encountered... I hadn't spent a lot of time in cities that were big enough and close enough to water to have a pigeon problem. It's not that I'd never seen pigeons before. And it's not like you only get pigeons in places like Chicago and New York. That's not true either. But I just hadn't really spent a lot of time with it. hadn't really you know, dwelt on the bird as, a, as either an Audubon Society observer of wildlife or as a nuisance that was aggravating and annoying it just never occurred to me. But I remember the first year that I was living in Ohio, um, not too far from the Great Lakes, you know, an hour or so away, people talking about the morning dove and whether this species of bird called the morning dove was more like a pigeon or more like a dove. And, you know, I don't really have a point of view about birds. I'm not going to go into an Audubon Society detour or, you know, you know sort of distraction here. But it was interesting hearing people talk about pigeons and doves from the perspective of them being uh, a legitimate point of potential confusion. Like, we weren't sure how to view this one species of bird. Was it sort of the flying rat idea that some people have about how aggravating pigeons can be? Or was it just one variety of the dove species, which of course is uh, a type of bird that has always been held in some degree of reverence? That's an interesting question. Let me just plant that seed. But before I get back to the short story and revisiting one more time a work I revised in 1989 called Manifestos of Neo Surrealism, Hmm. I want to instead first get to a quick promotion and to the different drummer segment. Let me start... With a different drummer. I'm going to guess that a short episode is going to have a short, different drummer segment. In this case, with actually a physically short, different drummer. I'm once again not only going back to fictional characters for a different drummer, but I'm going back to The Muppet Show. I previously named Statler and Waldorf as different drummers. That was from an episode released in June of 2012 called Putting Up or Shutting Up. But this time, I want to talk about Animal. And when I talk about my favorite Muppets... It is probably genuinely, depending on my mood, depending on the day, a bit of a crapshoot as to whether I might name Animal, or this combination of Statler and Waldorf, or some other figure, because I really do love the show. I won't go into an overview of the show itself, because I did talk about that a few years ago. In episodes that are available at uh, podbean.com, I, from time to time, refresh my memory about what I said on any given show by using the Podbean app. Podbean app gives you access to all of the inappropriate conversations going all the way back to the beginning because they are all still at the Podbean site, which for me, people can get to through www.inappropriateconversations.com or inappropriateconversations.org. Every show I've ever recorded is there, including shows about, you know, the Muppet show and Statler and Waldorf, at least in the context of the different drummer. But really, when I was a kid, if you pinned me down and said... Who's the Muppet you identify with? Who's your favorite Muppet? It would have to be Animal. And I suppose that's appropriate, because in the case of Animal, we are talking about a different drummer who is a drummer, and I at that time was also a drummer. So the connection fit right in. I also appreciated sort of the pure id of the character, the fact that he was impulsive and would say whatever was on his mind, often loudly. Here's what Wikipedia says about Animal, our different drummer this week. Animal is a fictional, wild, and frenzied drummer of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, the fictional band from The Muppet Show. He is one of the Muppets, originally created by Michael K. Frith. Now, Frith, also on Wikipedia, is cited as former executive vice president and creative director for Jim Henson Productions. His contributions to Muppet projects have been extensive and varied. Animal, the Wikipedia entry further goes on to say, was performed by Frank Oz, from his first appearance in the pilot of The Muppet Show until his 2000 appearance in the video game Muppet Race Mania, and has been performed regularly by Eric Jacobson since uh, 2002 an appearance in It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie. On The Muppet Show, Animal's Drumming is performed by Ronnie Varel. Animal has had various roles in all the Muppet movies and is the only member of the Electric Mayhem to be regularly included on the Muppet May Babies cartoons. That's Animal from the Wikipedia perspective. Let me just jump over and talk about Animal from the Muppet Wikia perspective. They refer to Animal as the wild drummer on The Muppet Show, performing with Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. He's a crazed percussionist with three styles of music, loud, louder, and deafening. He speaks in a guttural shout, often repeating a few simple phrases, such as beat drums, beat drums, or wah wah In relatively calmer moods, he is capable of more coherent conversations, but these instances are infrequent. As noted by Wikipedia elsewhere, his first appearance was on the pilot to The Muppet Show. Sex and Violence, I think, was the name of that 1975 episode or appearance. He was chained up in a basement cell when he wasn't on stage performing with the band. He later became a main character on The Muppet Show, and his unrestrained style made him popular with young people, including me, for decades. Frank Oz said he had his character down to five words. Sex, sleep, food, drums, and pain. Although occasionally, two of those essentials, food and drums, were viewed interchangeably. It's a popular le- legend, the article says, that Animal was inspired by Keith Moon, the wild drummer of The Who, or Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac, often inspiration may be visually, However, there's no evidence in the original sketches for the character that suggests that he was based on anyone in particular. I'm willing to grant, leaving uh, out more exploration of Michael Frith's design, that maybe it's fair to say that no one built Animal as an intentional uh, callback, throwback, or even a tongue-in-cheek criticism of Keith Moon. I will just say that when I was a kid learning rock and roll, still one foot in the future as a teenager who loves rock music and classic rock music in particular, and a kid enjoying the Muppet Show well into my college years, I saw the connection right away between Keith Moon and Animal. And among my favorite moments of pure id in the history of all the incarnations of Muppet Shows over the years have been the drum-off moments, uh, drum competitions, if you will, between Animal and famous drummers like Buddy Rich or Dave Grohl. Animal gives me the opportunity to live vicariously through someone who, even in moments of great frustration, is pretty much allowed to say and do whatever he wants. In 2015, late August of that year, I attended Pride 48 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and at the time when I was there, did a live recording that was released as the podcast Walk the Earth 30. I'm pleased to say that Pride 48, after a couple of years off, is back with a podcasting expo this year in New Orleans. From Friday, August 24th to Sunday, August 26th, although I suspect there will be a lot of people who are there Either preparing we're still celebrating from the Thursday before to the Monday after, if not more, but at least officially, from Friday, August 24th to Sunday, August 26th at the Holiday Inn Superdome in New Orleans, Pride 48 Podcasting Expo, will occur. I intend to be in New Orleans. Plans are being made, although there's still some things I'm trying to finalize, so I haven't quite got to the point of putting pen to paper, so to speak, on that commitment, But I do intend to attend, whether I am there in the audience watching shows and uh, reacquainting myself with people that I've met along the way, both online and in person, or doing a podcast. That has yet to be determined. I don't know the answer to that question, but my wife and I do intend to be there, and we have a niece who lives in the area that I haven't seen in years, so there's there's opportunity for a lot of fun and fellowship I highly recommend the New, the New Orleans Podcasting Expo 2018 from pride48.com. And one of the things I think most exciting about it for me, one of my favorite podcasts I've mentioned many times over the years in Inappropriate Conversations, is Greetings from Nowhere. And a little more than a year or so ago, Greetings from Nowhere kind of called it quits. They did say at that final episode that they were uh, putting this on the shelf. Maybe they would bring it back for special occasions like... Pride 48 events, whether the streaming event in June, which they did record a show last year in June, or the August Live Expo, that, you know, Greetings from Nowhere was done, but not necessarily dusted, I guess would be the way that I would word that, and they have come back as a show with a game plan to, like me, move more from, more away from a weekly kind of a commitment to uh, once or twice a month, not making the schedule the thing that makes it difficult to maintain the joy of the fellowship that is the key part of that particular podcast. Rather than doing a promo, I'm simply going to play the theme to the Greetings from Nowhere show, which I've used when I've talked about them on previous occasions, as an outro here to what is essentially a promo for Pride 48 New Orleans 2018. For more information, it's available at www.pride48.com event.
1: Small town quirks and coolness, yeah. We're sending you our warm <laughs> greetings from nowhere. Two best friends with a lot to say about small town life in the USA. Christina and Nicole got gossip to share, and they're sending every one of you greetings from nowhere. Greetings.
0: I take writing very seriously, probably evident from the podcast, and from times when I've shared things that I've written in essay form, that if you look back to the previous Inappropriate Conversations, at the point of this recording, this is Inappropriate Conversations 208. Number 207 was looking back at the eight-year history of the show, and again, my seriousness is probably evident throughout, but when it comes to the realm of fiction, I view myself as a surrealist, and going back as as far as 1989, but really all the way through college before then, I was writing short stories and prose poems under the heading of a collection that I've called Manifestos of Neo-Surrealism. I've shared a few of those manifestos here on Inappropriate Conversations, sprinkling them in along the way, whether it be podcasts where I've covered poems like Disappear Here or on the website where I've just posted examples of the poetry a belated happy birthday was one. Tithe was another. I've shared those here recently um, as posts online. Social media posts related to World Poetry Day 2018. But I've also shared a couple of the short stories. Uh, authorial Intent was mentioned in an episode called The Death of the Author. In fact, more than mentioned. I covered the entire story end to end. That one was inappropriate conversation number 144, the death of the author, May twenty fifth, twenty fourteen. I also did a reading of the short story part-time, a neo-surrealist preparing responses before an exit interview. That was part of a show where I included a couple of different pieces of writing, very different pieces of writing, in Inappropriate Conversations number 181, March of 2016. And it's time to go there again. This one is shorter than those other two, both in length and in structure. And I'll talk a little bit about the structure on the other side. This is a Simple Yes or No, a Neo-Surrealist Writing a Job Recommendation for an Associate. My friend writes a column. I went to college with him. I like to read his writing. He writes about birds, mostly. I like reading about birds. His name is Dant. He was always the life of the party. He said, you never know unless you try. I tried. He was right. Now he's writing a column. He tells other people to try. They'll never know unless they try. I know. I tried. Dant is married. I don't recall his wife's name. He cheats on her. She cheats on him. They have something in common. They love each other. His hair is blonde. The sun makes it lighter. His wife is a blonde, too. She dyes her hair. The sun doesn't affect it. We listen to rock music. We play darts. We get our frustrations out together. We never see each other often enough. I'd love to visit them now. They're probably awake. Maybe they are drinking beer or having sex. They do that. They love each other. Dan's column never makes sense. He only writes about birds and hazardous waste. I read his column anyway. He knows what he is talking about. Yesterday, he didn't write about either. He wrote about taxes. The cashiers use a guide. They charge a certain amount for tax. It tells them. Some of them use their cash registers. It does the math for them. I was crushed. I thought they just knew how much. Dance tells the truth. He is honest. His wife doesn't mind his cheating. She tests him. She tells her girlfriends to seduce him. We all cheat on tests. She made a pass at me once. I told her I was Dant's friend. She nodded. "'Dant is my friend. He tells me stories. "'I especially like the part about the robin laying an egg. "'He just dreams these things up. I don't know how. "'I keep waiting for his wife to lay eggs. "'I would sit on them for her. I told Dant. "'She goes out shopping. I have been nice to her lately. "'She tried to seduce me. "'I read Dant's column. She knows. "'She thinks I am safe. I really can be dangerous.' Dant told me about Robbins. I like her. She is nice. The girls in the bars aren't. One girl in a bar called me a dick. She couldn't get past first impressions. She was only after one thing. I'm not that kind of guy. Dant is. He picked up a girl at a landfill. She had red hair and bloodshot eyes. They went to her place. He said she barked like a dog. I thought she was a bitch. Dant believes in God. It is difficult. I know. I tried. Dant's wife believes in Jesus. She said he loves her. Who doesn't? She asked Dant to write a column about the dove. He did. He also wrote one about the pigeon. They ran as a two-part series. I liked the stories. I like reading about birds. Dant's wife didn't like the series. She still likes Dant. I like Dant. He is my friend. He writes a column for a magazine. He believes in hazardous waste. I know. I asked. All you have to do is ask.
1: My son looked me in the eyes the other day and asked, Pa, when's this war going to be over? I answered him, that one day his children and his children's children will look back and know that four warriors stood and fought and answered geeky trivia so that children everywhere could be free. The names of those heroes fresh on their minds, their tongues and their tattoos. Omar from Costa Rica, Roe from Washington, and of course their fearless leader, Commander Jason. I'm Kevin from Canada, and this is Atomic Trivia War 9000. ATW9K.
0: A simple yes or no, a neo-surrealist writing a job recommendation for an associate was written and completed on August 16th, 1986 and published in what I'm going to call the semester after that in a local magazine in the city I was living in at the time in Oklahoma. I say the semester after that because I didn't go down and dig up a paper copy of its publication, but I know that it was you know kind of immediately after it was my near the end of my college career. I suppose would be the way you'd word that. And because it was short and in some ways sweet, it was kind of perfect for a magazine that was intended to be distributed in the local bars and restaurants in this college town. One of its working titles was Simplicity. Along the way, when I realized that I wanted the subtext to be kind of this really Dadaistic idea of somebody writing a completely juvenile and almost incoherent job recommendation that a simple yes or no was a better way of dealing with a neo-surrealist writing a job recommendation kind of an idea. But here's the trick. The formalism behind this particular story was built upon the idea of taking to its logical extreme and comically mocking the journalism school mandate about the importance of simple sentences. For anybody who really knows me, and that includes people who've listened to enough of these podcasts I'm not a simple sentences kind of guy. I'm not afraid of them. I don't think they're problematic. I don't find them even challenging to do. But I also feel like that mandate is a little bit too simple, that the most important thing is conveying ideas accurately. And that requires more length of sentence structure, more and more elaborate punctuation to convey the notion that the communication is the most important thing. In other words, I'm not going to put the readership that can come from simplicity over and above the value of conveying complex ideas completely, if not always well. Because the notion here of writing every single sentence in this call-it-three-page short story in non-compound sentences, there isn't a compound sentence or an introductory clause in the mix anywhere. Every one of them is subject-verb-object or subject-verb. There are adjectives, the occasional prepositional phrase, but every single word of that short story is a simple sentence. And while at times it flows along at a brisk pace, it is in many ways a quick read for that reason, fulfilling the concept that my journalism professors were trying to convey to me. It's also simple in less praising ways. There's no doubt that the narrator here comes off as kind of somebody with a learning disability. Somebody who's not all there. Somebody who's not quite bright. Somebody who isn't capable of complex or abstract thought. Now, I'm not in any way being uh, ableist against people who really do have learning disabilities and a very tough time you know, grasping complex ideas. I'm just saying instead that there's no one right way here, that it's important not to go from one extreme to the other. A sentence structure, like maybe a James Joyce chapter in one of his books where the entire thing is a capitalization and punctuation-free run-on sentence, okay, not ideal for comprehension. But neither is trying to make a point or make a recommendation that's chopped up and distorted by some overarching strict rule about how we're going to use grammar, even though we're capable of so much more. Notice as well that... The short story, A Simple Yes or No, does include what I consider to be a cliched joke about whether or not Christians are actually following the dove or acting like pigeons, and I used the wife character in the story as my dupe for that joke. If nothing else, consider it a joke for April Fool's Day, 2018. Thanks for listening.
1: Show is a proud member of the Pride48 podcasting network. Check out other great podcasts at pride48.com/shows.